0: Today, we'll be discussing case number 62, a 50-year-old male who stops breathing at night. A 54-year-old male patient with hypertension, type 2 diabetes mellitus, obesity, dyslipidemia, and coronary artery disease status post coronary artery bypass graft presents to the sleep clinic because his wife is worried that he stops breathing at night. He underwent cabbage about three months prior to his appointment, He had initial difficulty sleeping after his surgery, but this has improved over time. He also found a supplement at a natural food store that seemed to help. How is insomnia defined? How would you assess this patient's insomnia? Insomnia, defined as difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, is a very common sleep complaint. Some studies estimate that up to 30% of the general population report chronic insomnia, while at least 10% of the general population report insomnia that is distressing or that significantly impairs their daytime functioning. Insomnia that occurs after a major life event, including a significant change in health status, a hospitalization, or a medical procedure, is called adjustment insomnia and is usually transient that is lasting less than three months. However, in patients with cardiovascular disease, medication side effects must also be considered. In patients with congestive heart failure, or CHF, or hypertension, diuretic therapy may lead to overnight awakenings related to nocturia. Cardiac patients are frequently prescribed beta blockers that depress sympathetic tone and thereby produce many positive effects from a cardiovascular perspective, but decreased sympathetic tone also decreases production of melatonin, a neurohormone that is critical for regulating the circadian sleep-wake cycle. For some of these patients, starting a melatonin supplement may help them fall asleep more quickly. A clinical pearl is inserted here, mainly for step 2 and 3, stating that most many commonly prescribed medications can have deleterious effects on sleep, including selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, and other antidepressants, anti-epileptic medications, and stimulants prescribed to treat attention deficit hyperactive disorder, or ADHD. When possible, adjusting medication dosages or timing, changing to a different class of medication, or discontinuing non-essential medications may have a significant impact on sleep quality. Going back to the case, the patient reports that he sleeps from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. He falls asleep quickly, usually in less than 5 minutes, sometimes on the couch while watching television. He typically awakens one or two times overnight to urinate. He returns to sleep quickly after using the bathroom. He denies excessive daytime sleepiness and has a normal Epworth sleepiness scale score of 6 out of 24. He drinks about 6 cups of coffee each day and sometimes has an energy drink in the afternoon. So clinical pearl inserted here for step 2 and 3 states that excessive daytime sleepiness may be masked by caffeine intake or by prescription stimulants such as methylphenidate or Ritalin dextroamphetamine levomethamphetamine, which is known as Adderall, and modafinil, known as Provigil. When evaluating any patient, it is always important to obtain a complete list of current medications and herbal supplements, to assess caffeine and alcohol intake, and to ask about tobacco and substance use. Back to the case, the patient states that uh, he denies drowsy driving, falling asleep at the wheel, and motor vehicle collisions related to sleepiness. He does not nap. A clinical pearl inserted here for step 2 and 3 states that when assessing a patient who reports sleep-related difficulties, it is critical to assess safety concerns, including drowsy driving, and if his or her occupation involves operating heavy machinery or vehicles involved in mass transit or the long-distance transportation of goods. All patients should be counseled to avoid driving and other high-risk activities when they are drowsy. Back to the case. The patient is accompanied by his wife, who says that he does not move around much in his sleep and that she has not noticed any sleep talking, also known as somniloquy, or sleep walking, somnambulism. He snores loudly every night and has done so for about the past 10 years. The snoring is so loud that his wife sometimes has to sleep in a different room, especially on nights when they have had wine or cocktails earlier in the evening. She also reports that her husband, quote unquote, stops breathing several times each night and sometimes gasps or chokes. She thinks the pauses in breathing have recently become more frequent, even prior to his cabbage. So, what is your differential diagnosis for this patient's pauses in breathing during sleep? There's a high prevalence of sleep disordered breathing in patients with cardiovascular disease, which includes coronary artery disease or CAD, hypertension chronic heart failure, and atrial fibrillation. Obstructive sleep apnea, or OSA, is the most common sleep-related breathing disorder in both the general public and patients with cardiovascular disease. Alcohol ingestion may reduce upper airway tone, worsening snoring and sleep disorder breathing in patients with OSA. However, patients with cardiac disease also exhibit a higher prevalence of central sleep apnea due to dysregulation of respiratory control mechanisms a basic science pearl here inserted mainly for step 1 states there are multiple respiratory control centers in the body whose outputs are integrated to determine respiratory rate and effort the first is peripheral chemoreceptors found in the carotid bodies and aortic arch are most sensitive to decreases in arterial partial pressure of oxygen but will also increase ventilation if the arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide rises significantly the second set is the central chemoreceptors located in the medulla are most sensitive to changes in the acidity of the cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF. An increase in the acidity of the CSF due to an increase in localized hydrogen ion concentration is often due to respiratory acidosis. Inadequate ventilation leads to an increase in partial pressure of carbon dioxide. The excess carbon dioxide then crosses the blood-brain barrier where it is hydrolyzed to form H-plus ions, and bicarbonate ions, or HCO3-. When reviewing a sleep study or polysomnogram, it is important to note the differences between obstructive and central respiratory events. An increased amount of subcutaneous fat is one of several factors that can contribute to narrowing of the upper airway, increasing one's propensity to develop OSA. During obstructive respiratory events, respiratory effort persists against narrowed or occluded upper airway. Due to increased effort, the movements of the rib cage and abdomen may become asynchronous, resulting in quote unquote, paradoxical breathing. In contrast, during central respiratory events, respiratory effort ceases, and there is little to no apparent movement of the chest or abdomen. Chain stokes respirations, a special form of periodic breathing, Are sometimes seen in patients with heart failure. In Chain Stokes respirations, there is a characteristic crescendo decrescendo pattern to the depth or amplitude of a series of rapid breaths followed by a respiratory pause or central apnea. This pattern is due to the inherent instability in these patients' respiratory control cycle, which is generated by a combination of increased chemoreceptor sensitivity and prolonged circulation time from the heart and lungs to respiratory control centers. Chain Stokes respirations are not always limited to sleep and may be seen during exertion or even rest in patients with advanced heart failure. Chainstokes respirations are also not pathognomonic for heart failure. They may be observed in patients with damage to the central nervous system due to stroke, traumatic brain injury, or tumor. The first step in treating Chain Stokes respirations is to treat the underlying etiology, that is, addressing decompensated heart failure to optimize cardiac function or other pathologies. If Chainstokes stokes respirations persist after optimizing medical therapy, non-invasive continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP, during sleep may be helpful. So what additional studies would you consider in patients with central sleep apnea in the absence of cardiac disease? Other etiologies of central apnea exist, including medication use, neuromuscular disease, and lesions of the central nervous system, that alter central respiratory control. In patients with central sleep apnea but normal cardiac workup, one should consider brain MRI to assess for CNS lesions, including Arnold Chiari malformation, also pulmonary function testing that includes maximal inspiratory pressure to assess neuromuscular weakness, and arterial blood gas to determine whether a patient is hypercapnic. Here, a clinical pearl is inserted, mainly related to step 2 and 3, stating that patients with central apnea may be separated into those with and without hypercapnia. Those with chronic hypercapnia have elevated PaCO2 with normal serum pH because respiratory acidosis is buffered by metabolic compensation and elevated serum bicarbonate. Patients with chronic hypercapnia Are usually that way due to chronic respiratory insufficiency. These patients may have decreased responsiveness to incremental increases in PaCO2. Um, Additionally, neuromuscular disease leads to respiratory muscle weakness, decreased alveolar ventilation, and chronic carbon dioxide retention, seen mainly in Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, and other progressive neuromuscular conditions. Chronic hypercapnia can also be associated with long-acting opioids such as methadone, leading to hypercapnia by suppressing the central respiratory drive. Biots breathing, a very irregular pattern of alternating tachypnea and apnea, may be seen with chronic opiate use and some central nervous system abnormalities. In contrast, patients with normal capnia, uh, these patients have normal PaCO2, and they may have central apneas due to exaggerated ventilatory response to small increases in PaCO2. When ventilation is increased too greatly, it can drive the PaCO2 under the apneic threshold, below which the drive to breathe is temporarily lost. Instability of the respiratory control system is due to increased chemoreceptor sensitivity and delay in feedback to respiratory control centers due to poor circulation. And this mechanism of central apnea is seen during chainstokes respiration. Another clinical pearl inserted here, mainly for step 2 and 3, states that it's important to recognize the difference between acute respiratory failure and chronic respiratory failure, or insufficiency. In acute respiratory failure, there is an uncompensated respiratory acidosis and low pH. Excessive doses of opiates or appropriate doses of opiates combined with additional respiratory depressants, such as alcohol or benzodiazepines, may lead to acute bradypnea, or slow respiration rate, or apnea. These patients lose their central respiratory drive, and in patients with pinpoint pupils and respiratory arrest, do not hesitate to give naloxone. This can be a life-saving intervention. In patients with pulmonary disease, acute respiratory failure may be due to an acute illness and can require a significant increase in respiratory support, including intubation and mechanical ventilation. We return now to the case where the patient reports that he currently weighs about 60 pounds more than he did in college when he was an avid runner and a cyclist. His activities became more limited after he sustained a lower back injury about 15 years ago. He denies shortness of breath on exertion, such as when climbing stairs. He also denies orthopnea and sleeps with one pillow. On physical exam, the patient's body mass index, or BMI, is 31.7 kilogram per meter squared. Blood pressure is 152 over 94 millimeters of mercury. Pulse rate is 65 beats per minute. Respiration rate is 12 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 97% on room air at rest. His neck circumference is 20 inches. There are no abnormalities on cardiac auscultation with normal S1 and S2, and no audible murmurs or gallop. Radial and posterior tibial pulses are 2, plus, and there is trace lower extremity edema at the ankles. Jugular venous distension appears within normal limits. So, discussion now goes to screening tools for OSA, includes stop bang questionnaire. This patient has several risk factors for OSA, including history of snoring, observed apneas, hypertension, large neck circumference, male gender, and age greater than 50 years old. An overnight polysomnography study is ordered for the patient where he has loud continuous snoring and frequent obstructive apneas and hypopneas associated with oxyhemoglobin desaturations as low as 68% from a baseline oxygen saturation of 93% on room His apnea hypopnea index, or AHI, during the first half of the night is 35 events per hour. Sleep is fragmented, and the patient awakens frequently after respiratory events. His central apnea index is normal at 0.3 events per hour. Due to the severity of his OSA, the patient is started on CPAP. During the second half of the night, his breathing during sleep improves with CPAP. At 12 centimeters of water. So, our diagnosis in this case is severe obstructive sleep apnea or OSA. This patient has some signs of CHF, such as trace lower extremity edema, but his cardiac symptoms appear well controlled with his current medication regimen. His polysomnography study demonstrates severe OSA without a significant degree of central apneas or evidence of chainstokes respiration. In adults, mild OSA. Is defined as an AHI from 5 to 14.9 events per hour, moderate OSA is an AHI from 15 to 29.9 events per hour, and severe OSA is greater than or equal to 30 events per hour. This patient's OSA improves with CPAP therapy. CPAP is the first-line intervention for moderate to severe OSA. Untreated OSA contributes to an increased risk of future cardiovascular events, including stroke, and can also contribute to the development of uncontrolled hypertension and arrhythmias such as atrial fibrillation. It is especially important to start CPAP treatment in patients with significant cardiac conditions, hypertension, and other comorbidities. Interestingly, in the general population, the risk of sudden cardiac death is at its lowest from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. In patients with OSA, however, the relative risk of sudden cardiac death from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. is about 2.5-fold higher. Therefore, treating OSA may also reduce the risk of sudden cardiac death during sleep, though this has not been demonstrated yet in major randomized clinical trials. Clinic follow-up with patients is essential to be sure that their CPAP continues to be effective and that the patients continue to use their machines. For patients who are unable to tolerate CPAP therapy due to claustrophobia or other factors, additional treatment options for OSA include referral to an otolaryngologist for consideration of surgical interventions or fitting with a specialized dental device that advances the mandible forward to open the airway during sleep. That brings us now to the end of the case and to the Beyond the Pearls section. The first one states that beta blockers decrease sympathetic tone and may lead to difficulty with insomnia. Due to decreased production of melatonin. This may be a more significant problem for those patients taking non-selective beta blockers, such as propranolol and nadolol. Melatonin supplementation may be helpful for these patients. The next pearl states that melatonin is a weak hypnotic, making it less likely to have deleterious side effects, such as a hangover effect, but this property also makes it less effective for some people with significant insomnia. The next pearl states that melatonin is a naturally produced neurohormone. Melatonin tablets are therefore classified as dietary supplements and are not closely regulated by the food and drug administration. Different melatonin preparations may have different levels of purity, and the indicated quantity of active ingredient may not always be accurate. The next pearl states that remeltion, or rosarem, is a synthetic melatonin receptor agonist with similar activity to melatonin. It is sometimes prescribed for sleep-onset insomnia and may have fewer side effects than other common sleep aids, most of which interact with the gamma-aminobutyric acid or GABA receptor complex. The next pearl states, or Hetliose, another melatonin receptor agonist, was recently approved for treatment of non-24-hour, a common circadian rhythm disorder in patients who are totally blind. The next pearl states that high-altitude periodic breathing is a pattern of periodic central apneas seen in normal individuals when they are transitioning from sea level to the mountains. It is most severe during sleep. Tachypnea is a natural physiologic response to lower atmospheric oxygen content, but increased minute ventilation decreases PaCO2 close to the apneic threshold, resulting in periodic central apneas. The next statement states that uh, individuals with sleep disorder breathing may have more symptoms at high altitude and require increased respiratory support. The next pearl states that some patients with chain stokes respirations respond to simple CPAP, while others require adaptive or automatic servo ventilation, also known as ASV machines that use complex algorithms to modulate air pressure dynamically on a breath to breath basis. Although very successful in normalizing the respiratory pattern during sleep, safety concerns have recently emerged regarding the use of ASV in patients with low left ventricular ejection fraction. At this time, the mechanism leading to increased mortality risk in the subset of patients is not clear. But possibilities include that ASV use leads to negative hemodynamic effects, prorhythmogenic effects, and loss of as yet uncharacterized benefits. Of central sleep apnea that are lost with treatment. Physicians have been advised to discuss the risks and benefits with all of their patients currently using ASV. We hope to better understand the mechanism underlying these results in the near future. Hypoglossal nerve stimulators are designed to advance the tongue forward in sync with respiratory efforts during sleep and were recently approved as an option for treatment of OSA in patients with significant OSA who do not tolerate CPAP. And who meets certain selection criteria. A certain subset of patients who are successfully and adequately treated for severe OSA still have residual excessive sleepiness or RES. The major mechanisms proposed for this phenomenon include sleep fragmentation from repeated pharyngeal collapse and correction, irreversible changes to sleep architecture, and chronic inflammatory changes. The diagnosis of RES should be established by confirming the original diagnosis of OSA, evaluating for alternate etiologies of ongoing sleep disruption, and ensuring compliance with OSA treatment. Treatment for RES includes wakefulness-promoting agents such as modafinil, armodafinil, and solriamfetol. Stimulant agents such as amphetamines and their derivatives, methylphenidate, are discouraged as a treatment for RES. That brings us to the end of this case. Once again, this has been Ravi Rao. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope that you were able to learn something. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beatman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.